If you're a politics junkie, you need to be listening to the Election Ride Home podcast. Every day at 5 p.m., former This American Life contributor Chris Higgins reports from the campaign trail. Who's up? Who's down? What issues are getting traction and what do the polls say? Search your podcast app now for Ride Home and subscribe to the Election Ride Home podcast. A quick reminder before we begin the podcast, Weird Darkness has been nominated for a podcast award in both the Storyteller Drama category as well as the People's Choice category, and you can help by nominating the podcast yourself. Visit podcastawards.com and click on Nominations to get started, or click the link in this episode's show notes. Nominations and voting end July 31st, so we're quickly running out of time. Look for the Storyteller Drama category and the People's Choice category on the page after you sign in, and then choose Weird Darkness in the Dropbox. Go to podcastawards.com to get started. And thank you for being such a wonderful and weird family. And now, on with the show. This episode is dedicated to the men and women of our armed forces and first responders. Whether you are currently serving or have served in the past, you are appreciated. It is because of your courage and sacrifice that we enjoy the freedoms and liberties we hold dear. And I, for one, appreciate every single one of you for protecting what many of us take for granted. So thank you. Stories and content in Weird Darkness can be disturbing for some listeners and is intended for mature audiences only. Parental discretion is strongly advised. Take a look at the cover photo for this episode. Have you ever dreamed about this man? If you did, did he comfort or befriend you in your dreams? Or was he a malevolent entity that attempted to harm you in your nightmares? If you have dreamed of this man, then you are one of the thousands across the world who believe to have encountered him in their dreams at one point or several instances of their lives. This phenomenon suddenly began several years ago. And now, numerous websites are dedicated to describing people's personal experiences of dreaming of this man. I'm Darren Marlar, and this is Weird Darkness. Welcome, weirdos. Here you'll find stories of the paranormal, supernatural, legends, lore, mysterious, macabre, unsolved, and unexplained. Coming up in this episode of Weird Darkness. In a small town in Russia, numerous voodoo dolls suddenly appeared on pillars, fences, and bus stops. Where did they come from, and what is their purpose? In a small Seattle apartment, Cleveland Tony Harmon's past has finally caught up with him. Now he's ready to tell his haunting story. Weirdo family member Julia Harrison describes the endless horrors she experienced when she bought a new home. Strange and spooky things have been happening in a small town in Ohio. But then you should probably expect the abnormal when you live in a place named Helltown. And people around the world are dreaming about the very same man, a stranger they do not know. Who is this man? How is he invading the dreams of thousands of people? And what does he want? We begin there. 
Now bolt your doors, lock your windows, turn off your lights, and come with me into the weird darkness. According to the This Man website, allegedly set up by those who have dreamed about this strange man, every night throughout the world, hundreds of people dream about this man's face, the face that you see in the cover photo of this episode. This dream-related phenomenon supposedly dates back to January 2006 in New York. As the story goes, the patient of a well-known psychiatrist drew the face of a man repeatedly appearing in her dreams. On more than one occasion, the man had provided her some advice concerning her private life, but the woman swears that she never met the man in real life. The portrait of the man was set aside on the psychiatrist's desk for a few days, until one day another patient pointed out the portrait. He recognized the face in the drawing, saying that the man had often visited him in his dreams. Similar to the claims of the female patient of the psychiatrist, he claimed that he's never seen the man in his waking life. Finding it odd for two people to dream about the very same stranger, the psychiatrist decided to send the portrait of the man to some of his colleagues who had patients with recurrent dreams. Within only a few months, four patients turned up claiming to recognize the man as a frequent presence in their own dreams. All the patients referred to the man appearing in their dream as this man. Since the first reported appearance of this man in people's dreams in 2006, at least 2,000 people have reportedly claimed to have all seen the same man in their dreams. The man has allegedly appeared in the dreams of many people in many cities all over the world, including Los Angeles, Berlin, Sao Paulo, Tehran, Beijing, Rome, Barcelona, Stockholm, Paris, New Delhi, and Moscow. According to the This Man website, there are currently no ascertained relation or common traits among the people that have dreamed of this strange man. What's even stranger is that supposedly no real man in the waking world has ever been recognized as resembling the man drawn on the portrait by those who have seen him in their dreams. Because of this mystery, it has become the ultimate objective of some people to find out the real identity of this man and figure out the reason why he randomly appears in the dreams of a diverse set of human subjects in a variety of unrelated situations. The website dedicated to the This Man phenomenon has also enumerated and discussed several theories which have supposedly been developed to explain the mysteriously recurring presence of the man in the dreams of a wide variety of people who are not related with each other in any way. Some of these theories are said to have elicited great interest among those who have dreamed of this strange man. Based on Carl Jung's psychoanalytic theory, this man is speculated to be an archetypal image belonging to humanity's collective unconscious. This archetype appears in times of a person's hardship, emotional development, dramatic changes in life, and stressful circumstances. And because it is part of the collective unconscious of all people, 
it makes sense that the man shows up in the dreams of several individuals over the course of several years, though they not all are related with each other. There is also another theory about the phenomenon that's founded on religious beliefs. According to this theory, this man is the image of the Creator himself and that this particular form is one of the many faces in which God manifests himself before mortal beings, and because the appearance of this man is God's way of revealing himself to people, it is also believed that whatever he utters during the dream he appears in should be decidedly followed by the dreamers. The Dream Surfer Theory It's probably the most interesting theory involving the appearance of the same man in the dreams of many people. But while it promises the greatest and most amazing implications, it is also a theory with the lowest scientific credibility. According to this theory, this man is a real person who happens to have the ability to enter the dreams of other people using specific yet unknown psychological skills. There are those who supposedly believe that the man who appears in their dreams looks exactly the same in real life. However, others, on the other hand, think that the man in the dreams looks entirely different from his real-life counterpart. There are also speculations that the man is part of an elaborate mental conditioning plan developed by a powerful corporation. There is also a scientific psychosociological theory which claims that the phenomenon arose casually but has since progressively spread among members of the public by imitation. This means that people who have read or heard about this phenomenon online or through other people who claim to have personally dreamt of the man have become so fascinated and involved with the phenomenon that they too started seeing this man in their dreams. Another theory states that apparitions of this man in dreams of people are purely casual. Ordinarily, people do not recall the exact appearance and faces of people they see in their dreams, and so the image of this man is supposedly an instrument which facilitates the recognition of an undefined image that has appeared during people's dream states. For years, the mysterious story about the same man visiting the dreams of people has spread across various online blogs, discussion forums, and even social media communities where lengthy conversations about the alleged phenomenon's validity and debunking have ensued. And so, this leads us to ask one simple and very important question. Is there really a strange man appearing in the dreams of unrelated people? As it turns out, we never really needed a special theory to explain the this-man phenomenon after all, because the whole thing was just one big hoax. The website, thisman.org, is actually the creation of Italian sociologist and marketing strategist Andrea Nutella. It was also revealed that Nutella runs a company called Guerrilla Marketing, which stages subversive hoaxes and creates weird art projects that are mostly about pornography, politics, and advertising. The site was also briefly acquired by horror movie production company Ghost House Pictures as part of the promotion for a planned film titled This Man, which was supposed to be directed by Brian Bertino based on a screenplay he also penned. Regardless of the validity or falsity of this phenomenon, it cannot be ignored that the most likely real reason this man has gone viral as an internet story is that this fictional entity actually represents the image of every man. The face of this man is an amalgamation of many common facial features, which were probably added to the fake portrait showing the man's face 
to rouse a sense of familiarity among the public. This myriad of common features may have been the reason why so many people from all over the world thought that this man looked very familiar, as if they had seen him before. And it is this familiarity in this fictional person's face that has probably perpetuated the viral nature of this man. Although the this man phenomena turned out to be just one of many false stories and urban myths that are found online and have gone viral among members of the global internet community, the way that it has piqued the people's interest and the extent of its impact as a sensationalized, fabricated internet legend cannot be easily dismissed. Neither are the rest of us allowed to be so quick in putting down and ridiculing those who still continue to insist that this man actually exists and that he has actually appeared in people's dreams. Who knows? Maybe we just don't have enough evidence to prove that this man is real after all. When it comes to Russian dolls, those Matryoshka nesting dolls get all the publicity because they're decorative and harmless, although the last one may be a choking hazard. They often look like older ladies. The name Matryoshka means little matron, but the real-life matrons living in one Russian town are terrified and suffering from physical ailments after their neighborhoods were overrun overnight by large, scary, needle-marked voodoo dolls. As you can tell by one witness account, these voodoo mannequins aren't your normal small cloth dolls pierced with pins and bearing the facial image or a reasonable facsimile of the person who the owner hopes will feel the pain. Interesting side note, while voodoo dolls are most often linked to Haiti or New Orleans, their origin actually dates back to medieval England when folk magic practitioners known as the Cunning Folk are believed to have come up with the idea of inflicting pain via pins stuck in dolls made with cloth or hair or some other possession of the victim. The hole-filled dolls found in Zvetny, a town near Krasnodar in far southwestern Russia, were the size of store mannequins and dressed in girls' clothes or school uniforms. It gets worse the little girl mannequins are pierced with needles and tied with black threads. Police report that dozens of the dolls were found in random locations in the village, a park, bus stops, leaning against fences. While it's not a crime to leave dolls around, they were concerned because the dolls were spiked with needles, although it's hard to tell from the photos, and some were missing eyes and various body parts. In addition to studying security videos, the police had to calm down the matrioskas and old men who claimed the scary dolls gave them high blood pressure. Were these really some Russian version of voodoo dolls? One source claimed the dolls were once used in a puppet theater and were later given to a local museum which threw them out. A security officer found them and gave the dolls to her daughter to use while teaching school. However, the dolls creeped out the kids so she tossed them out again. No one admitted to taking them out of the trash again and dropping them off around town. That is an interesting theory, but it doesn't explain the needles and pinholes reported in the dolls. 
For now, the matryoshkas will just have to take their medications and wait to see which ones start feeling sharp, stabbing pains, different than their normal sharp, stabbing pains. Russian nesting dolls are so much easier to deal with. Fifty-six years ago, Cleveland Tony Harmon says that he was unknowingly swept up in a poltergeist phenomena, a boy living in a Portsmouth house that became the center of some inexplicable events straight out of a horror movie. Flying books, a levitating mattress, cups and saucers sailing by to crash and shatter. And yes, you can discount it all as stories about the paranormal often are. But the thing is, there were some credible witnesses and media accounts. Over several days, in September 1962, in Portsmouth, what happened to Harmon and his family was covered by the Virginia Pilot, the Associated Press, and other publications. A pilot reporter who covered the events declared he was reassessing his disbelief in the supernatural. Harmon is now 70, and he's had a rough and tumble life that brought him some two decades ago to the Pacific Northwest. He was homeless for a time before finding a place at a low-income housing facility for seniors in Seattle. What finally has Harmon talking about his past is a woman named Mary Brett, 73, of Dade City, Florida. She also grew up in Portsmouth and was a teen when the inexplicable events took place in her hometown. Now retired from a job as a healthcare recruiter for hospitals and agencies, Brett decided to dig into the events from her childhood and track down Harmon. I had so many questions, she says. It became a passion that took up the past four years. She found relatives of Harmon, looked up his school records, looked up newspaper stories on microfish, ads in newspapers, researched in libraries, and even paid for a background search. Brett finally got lucky when she posted on a Facebook page about Portsmouth history asking if anybody knew of Harmon's whereabouts. Someone on that Facebook page told her that Harmon himself was on Facebook. In July 2017, Harmon posted on his Facebook page, I will always carry around with me until the day that I die the true story. Brett and Harmon began talking by phone and mailing each other, she thinks that his story should be told beyond his 12 Facebook friends. And so, here we are. In September 1962, when he was 13, Harmon was living with his great-great-grandparents, Annie and Charlie Doherty, in a single-story rental home. He remembers the first incident. I was coming home from school. Some guys were chasing me, probably because I had girls hanging around me all the time, says Harmon. I ran up the stairs on the porch. The screen door was open and I dropped my books on the floor. I could smell Grandma cooking in the back, fresh apple pie. Then, the books flew over the top of my head. My Grandma said, what are you doing, throwing books all over? I said, I didn't throw them. She thought I was fibbing and sat me in the corner. Then, the next afternoon, I was sitting on the floor in the living room and Grandfather and Grandma had their pipes. They both smoked those corncob pipes. They had the tobacco can sitting up on the mantel to keep me from getting after it. I was sitting there, wondering where I can get tobacco, when the can flipped over and rolled onto the floor. 
My grandma was stunned. There was no explanation. I didn't know what I had done. It excited me, made my heart pound. The events continued and became talked about in the neighborhood. Helen V. Davis, 91 years old, lived across the street from the Doherty's. She still lives in Portsmouth. She and another neighbor were walking home from the church. Something needs to be done, Davis said, who was interviewed by the Seattle Times. She remembers the neighbors telling her, things are being thrown into the street. We walked over. The grandfather was so glad we came over. He'd not slept in two nights. Davis says that she saw salt and pepper shakers and some glass jumped up and dropped on the floor. The rocking chair in one of the rooms started rocking while we were standing there. Joseph V. Phillips was the Virginia pilot reporter who went to check out the reports. His front-page article the next day began, I didn't believe in ghosts until Saturday. I went to a house at 949 Florida Avenue and got goose pimples while dodging flying household objects that crashed to bits on the floor. I didn't believe this nonsense until Saturday. Now I'm not so sure. I saw weird things happen, but I don't know what caused them. Phillips has died, but the photographer on the story, William Abergilly, 83, of Virginia Beach, also clearly remembers that day. Basically, we were inside the house, he said, walking down the hall and stuff hit the wall and broke. A dish, a glass. He and Phillips looked into the room where the stuff was coming from. There wasn't anyone in there. There was one window and it was closed, Abergilly remembers. We couldn't find any explanation. The story that Sunday further spread the publicity, and on that day, Portsmouth police cordoned off the street. Police estimated that as many as 10,000 people went to Florida Avenue Sunday to take a look at the Doherty House. In the afternoon, cars were arriving in the suburb at a rate of 600 an hour, the Virginia pilot reported. Harmon and his great-great-grandparents moved in with relatives. They never returned to the rental home. Harmon still believes he was responsible for the flying objects, although he doesn't understand how or why. After the events of that September, while staying with relatives, Harmon says he decided to move a pencil that was on a table. I put it right at the edge, he says. He says about these powers, he had, I stopped it. I knew right then and there I was doing no more. Harmon was interviewed by William G. Roll, a well-known parapsychologist with Duke University's Parapsychology Labs. Roll spent a few days on his investigation and concluded the only thing that can be said with assurance is that there is nothing in the house itself to cause the phenomena, the newspaper reported. The things only happen when the house is occupied. Roll believes that a poltergeist, literally translated from German as a knocking spirit, was caused by psychokinesis an unproven psychic ability that allows individuals to move objects by the mind. Harmon remembers that sometime later, I remember sitting at a table and across was three guys wearing suits. I was looking at a card, ink cards with drawings with asking what do these look like? They were waving something in my face like a gold chain back and forth. Brett believes that Harmon was being tested for causing the poltergeist activity. She says that Harmon exhibited one explanation for a poltergeist, that of an adolescent who had experienced profound trauma. Although there is no corroboration other than Harmon's statements, he tells of being beaten and sexually abused by his stepdad, 
which is why his mother took him to stay with his great-great-grandparents. He tells of the stepdad beating his mom. The background and newspaper clips from the Virginia pilot were forwarded by the Times to Neil Dagnall, a reader at Manchester Metropolitan University in England, the equivalent of an associate professor whose expertise is in the psychology of paranormal beliefs. Explanations for poltergeist reports range from a kind of mass hallucination to hoaxes, he says, and there are a few cases that get looked at and looked at, and there's no explanation. He says the poltergeist report in Portsmouth may be another such case. After the events of 1962, Harmon's life was one troubled step after another. Juvenile correctional facility, foster care, a stint in prison for forgery and use of stolen credit cards, several moves around the West Coast before ending up addicted to crack and living in a homeless camp in Woodenville. In March 2009, Harmon was charged with a felony domestic violence and spent eight months in jail. Harmon says that he has been clean and sober now for seven years. What to make of his story? He says, I did everything that was done in that house. I didn't know about poltergeists at the time. I believe my life was destined to do that stuff. When Weird Darkness returns, strange and spooky things have been happening in a small town in Ohio. But then you should probably expect the abnormal when you live in a place named Helltown. And weirdo family member Julia Harrison describes the endless horrors she experienced when she bought a new home. We'll also step into the chamber of comments, and I'll reply to some of your emails, comments, reviews, and tweets. Every day I get a recommendation from my Blinkist app for a book it thinks that I will like, and so far it's had a pretty great track record. I love Blinkist because it squeezes a best-selling nonfiction book down to just the bare elements and allows me to read or listen to the entire book in just 15 minutes. Well, this morning it suggested that I read The Code Book, The Secret History of Codes and Code Breaking by Simon Singh. The book lays out the long and intriguing history of secret communication. It'll take you on a journey from ancient Greece to the modern-day NSA, detailing innumerable stories of cunning, determination, and deceit along the way. The book is definitely down the weird darkness genre, and you can listen to it for free right now by signing up for a complimentary seven-day trial at Blinkist.com slash Weird Darkness. That's Blinkist, B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash Weird Darkness. Once you sign up, then just search for The Code Book and you can start listening. Download it now while you're listening to the rest of this episode. What is it about certain locations that causes certain strangeness to gravitate around them? What quality do they possess that should make them such magnets for tales of the weird and the paranormal? The world is littered with anomalous locations that pull around themselves tales of the paranormal like a shroud, concealing them in an impenetrable cloak of mysteries and odd tales. One such place lies in the United States state of Ohio and it has for many years accrued a reputation as a very spooky and haunted domain of high strangeness. 
out in the wilds of Summit County, Ohio in the United States is a place that was once known as Boston Mills. Wandering around this place in recent years, all one could see were derelict buildings, weed-choked lots, and crumbling roads that lead to nowhere. An unkempt, feral landscape full of the remnants of what once was, and now inhabited only by the ghosts of the past. Go back a few centuries, and it was altogether something different. Once a French trading post in the 17th century, the town itself was founded in 1806 and was a rather pleasant place to be, going on to become a thriving community. For a while. In 1974, the U.S. government began a fierce campaign in the region to acquire all of the land in order to establish a park with the National Park Service. The park was to be called Cuyahoga Valley National Park, and the government began buying up property, claiming eminent domain, and more or less kicking people out left and right. Under the onslaught of the land-hungry and very determined National Park Service, no one would remain, sending disgruntled private landowners scattering off to other locations to leave their beloved village an abandoned husk, the boarded-up houses like fossils from some other time. And this was how it would remain, for decades, a mere shell of its former self. The National Park never came to fruition, abandoned by the Park Service just as the homes and buildings were left abandoned by the town folk, and Boston Mills became a forgotten place left to be reclaimed by nature. Lurking out there in the trees and with its spooky, empty buildings and desolate landscape, it is perhaps not surprising that such a place should draw to it creepy stories. But the former Boston Mills would truly become a wellspring for tales of the bizarre and sinister in the years following its closure, to the point where it would eventually earn its new unofficial name, Helltown. It's hard to tell exactly where to begin with the odyssey of strangeness at Helltown, Ohio. Not long after its abandonment, it was said to have become the haunt of mysterious cultists and Satanists who moved in to perform sacrifices and to leave their arcane graffiti all over the place. Indeed, there were often reports of the carcasses of animals being found here that showed evidence of being ritualistically slaughtered. Adding to this macabre reputation, as a place of sinister cultists going about their grim work are the rumors of human bodies that have been found out in the woods here in various states of dismemberment. A lot of this supposedly gravitated towards the old shell of the former church, which was said to have upside-down crosses scrawled across it, and it's often seen to have a strange red light flickering within it. There have also been numerous claims that black masses were held at the old church and there are persistent stories of a strange hermit who lives in the basement who will chase away trespassers. Other rumors are related to the Satanists as well. There are supposedly several roads that pass through the area that have been mysteriously blocked off or posted with road-closed signs, allegedly by these nefarious parties. Another legend is a supposedly haunted school bus which once sat out rusting away on one of the unused roads. The story behind the bus is that it had once been filled with a full contingent of children who were, depending on the version of the tale, all massacred by either a deranged serial killer or a group of cultists said to lurk here. One commenter on the site Weird Ohio said of the bus thus, There is an abandoned house in the woods there, 
and for years an abandoned school bus sat next to this house. The story of how the bus got back there still gives me chills every time I think of it. The bus was carrying a group of high school students who were going to one of the ski resorts near Boston. An elderly woman flagged down the bus and, in a panic, explained that there was a young boy in her house who was seriously hurt. The bus driver, attempting to help, turned down her driveway and drove into the woods, hoping to revive the boy. When the bus approached the house, Satan worshippers swarmed it and sacrificially murdered all of those aboard. The bus sat there for over 30 years, standing as a warning to all who decided to venture into Helltown. I saw this bus many times before they removed it, and it was very real and very frightening. It's not a coincidence that numerous bodies have been found dumped in the woods of Helltown. This place is truly evil, as I've seen with my own eyes. The vicinity of this bus was said to be plagued by all manner of strange phenomena, like the voices of children screaming or crying, and apparitions seen of child-sized figures prowling about in the brush, or even spookier, the wraith of a man holding a cigarette said to be the spirit of the murderer himself. This rusted-out hulk sat out there for decades, accruing these stories and hordes of curiosity seekers looking to see the cursed bus but as of the present it has apparently since been removed. Adding to tales of murder and mayhem in the area is the old abandoned slaughterhouse said to have once existed here. The lore has it that this place was once used by a psychopathic killer who butchered his victims, and it's said that if one were to look into the windows, they would see the tormented souls of the victims. In later years, it has been claimed that this slaughterhouse never even existed at all, but it is a potent enough image to make it easy enough to see how it would become part of the whole larger-than-life lore of this place. Another very prevalent story orbiting Helltown is that it was once the site of a chemical spill called the Kresge Dump Spill. It was apparently caused by a crashed truck carrying toxic materials in the 1980s and which was allegedly investigated and cleaned up by the Environmental Protection Agency. According to the tales, though, the spill has had a long-lasting impact, causing mutations in animal life and even humans throughout the area, which went on to be known as Mutant Town. The most notable of these is what is purportedly called the Peninsula Python, which is said to be a type of outsized snake said to roam the area to this day. Unfortunately, there is little evidence that any such chemical spill actually ever happened, but it is a spooky tale to be sure. There are numerous other legends about this mysterious place. Supposedly, there is an abandoned house out in the woods that always has a light on in its window and is intensely haunted, by some accounts inhabited by an actual witch. Drive along on one of the roads past the signs warning you away, and you will apparently be trailed by a ghostly black hearse that in some accounts has only one headlight. Speaking of roads, there is another called Stanford Road, or more ominously, the end of the world, that is said to be cursed with an unseen force taking over your vehicle should you try to ride down it, and if you do make it to the end, it is said that you will be greeted by a robed group of Satanists waiting for you. Another road, charmingly called the Highway to Hell, supposedly has a demented, axe-wielding maniac that prowls its expanse looking for new victims, jumping out of the shadows to viciously kill the unwary. 
There is also a haunted tunnel here, supposedly patrolled by the apparition of a long-dead man who died in an accident here. The cemetery of the town is, of course, also said to be a hotbed of activity. The graves are said to be prowled by shadowy figures, and even the trees are said to move by themselves. One apparition in particular is said to sit upon a bench here and merely stare vacantly at his domain. There are also numerous reports of strange dancing lights moving about in the darkness. Not far away is what has come to be known as Crybaby Bridge, which crosses the Cuyahoga River and where a baby was, according to legend, thrown off to its death. If you stop your car there, there will purportedly be a layer of dust that forms with tiny footprints etched within it. Haunted forests and houses, secret tunnels winding under it all, you name it, Helltown has it. Thus are some of the many, many legends that have sprung up around this very odd and spooky place, but for many they are just that – legends. One very skeptical article by none other than Ghost Hunters sums it up pretty nicely, with an article by James Willis on the site Ghosts of Ohio, which goes point for point, shedding light on the origins for some of these tales. Yet the stories go on undeterred, and Helltown, Ohio has gone on to be a treasure trove of strange tales and ghostly sightings. Unfortunately, in recent times, it has all mostly been demolished and renovated in the wake of the renewed efforts to build up the Cuyahoga Valley National Recreation Area starting from the year 2000, and the area has lost that creepy, gritty luster that once made it so remote and mysterious, wiping away most of what made these sinister legends so popular. Go there now, and there is very little to see, the past buried along with its ghosts. Although the area is now crisscrossed by hikers and outdoor enthusiasts, there still seems to be a special allure to the spot, and it still holds about it many incredible, spooky, and surreal tales. Perhaps it is all fabrication and the grip of urban legends that latched on to this once desolate and abandoned place. Perhaps it is all just crazy stories of the weird, born out of our innate sense of unease when dealing with such places. Yet, whatever the case may be, the legends and stories of Helltown, Ohio have managed to seep into the realm of the paranormal and remain talked and discussed about to this day. Our next story comes from weirdo family member Julia Harrison. I got the keys to my home in Chickenley Dewsbury, which is West Yorkshire, December 2013. Upon moving in, I noticed a strange feeling that something was here. Not thinking anything of it, me and my son started to settle in. Within a couple months, things started to get a little strange. Lights would turn on and off, the cooker hood would turn on and off by itself, the stuff on top also wants it turned on melting some of my clothes, which I had on the top from the washing which I had folded that morning. I've had voices shouting over my music, which wasn't connected to the radio, it was just a CD playing in my CD player, and then the music stopped and a man had shouted several times when this happened. I've had phones break, laptops break, TVs break, all due to the LCD screen inside, either just turning blank, white, 
or completely smashed without even having a mark or a scratch on the outer surface. I've had plug charges just stop working. Anything electrical, just nearly all my stuff just stops working. I suffered severe anxiety upon moving in this house, depression to a really bad state, to be honest. I've had really horrible nightmares, so bad I wouldn't even repeat to the therapist, never mind reading publicly. They just absolutely were horrendous, which some of them have involved the devil himself. I've had my TV turn over, turn off, turn on, music just stop playing by itself on any devices that I've had in the house. I had two sets of fingerprints left on the windowsill the next morning. I've had things catch audio voices. I get bad mood swings. One minute I'm all right, next minute I could smash the house to bits. Things will go missing. I get headaches, bad headaches for no reason. I feel so sick when I've actually walked into the house before that day feeling absolutely fine before I set foot over the threshold. Soon as I've walked in, ready for some pajamas and chill out, can't do that because I'm upstairs at the toilet throwing up. I'm not a daft person and have managed to debunk things that still go on, but its trick now is scratching in a shelf of the open front cabinet in my kitchen, and for where I sit, it's straight in front of this cabinet which has a solid back there's never anything there. There's something seriously wrong with this whole place, chickenly. I mean, not just my home. I also heard the story not so long back about that guy in Osset who murdered his wife and dog after being treated by the priesthood for possession. Knowing that I'm protected by our Heavenly Father, there's only one time I was extremely frightened, and that was after a nightmare when my son was staying out for the night at my mom's. The feeling that something or Satan himself was going to come out from the depths and torture me was in every room. I honestly thought that night was my last and couldn't believe when I woke the next morning. This house has made me ill, and yes, I am looking to be moving out very soon. These horrid creatures from down there are very real and take pleasure in making the lives of good people very miserable. We'll step inside the comments chamber in just a moment, but if you made it this far, you can count yourself as part of the Weirdo family. You can help spread the weird darkness around the world by sharing this podcast with your friends and family on Twitter, Facebook, and your other social media, or maybe send them a text or an email. Do you have a dark tale to tell of your own? Click on Tell Your Story at WeirdDarkness.com and I might use it in a future episode. Also on the website, you can find the Weirdo's Facebook group, the chat room where I hold a live listen and chat on the fourth Wednesday of every month, audiobooks, the Weird Darkness store, links to my social media, and more. Are you weird at work? Do you listen to the podcast at the office? Well, check out the Weird at Work page. Your business might get a shout out in a future episode, and maybe even get a delivery of something weird and or dark at the office from me. And now let's step into the chamber. Here in the Chamber of Comments, I answer your emails, comments, podcast reviews, tweets, and give shoutouts. If you want to email me, you can do that at darren at weirddarkness.com. Got a podcast review from Jen. She said, I am obsessed with this podcast. Five stars. 
I spend my entire workday in my car driving around to clients, and this is one of my favorite podcasts to have playing during my day. I love the stories and find Darren's voice so calming. Thanks for all the entertainment. Signed, Gen10ZA via Apple Podcasts in South Africa. Wow, South Africa. That is, that is really cool. Although when you say you spend your time in the car driving all day in South Africa, I mean, I immediately picture a Jeep on the savannah dodging giraffes and lions. I'm sure I'm wrong about that, but I'm going to envision that anyway, you know, just to make you that much bigger and more heroic in my mind, Jen. So thanks for listening, and it's great to hear that we've got weirdos in South Africa. I got an email from Dave. He said, Hey, Darren, we are big fans of the Weird Darkness podcast. To be honest, I think my wife's obsessed with it. Since working from home, she seems to have it on a loop, and it's compulsory listening before tuning in for the night. She would get a massive kick out of the mention on the podcast. I reckon she is your biggest fan. She's Kate Richards, and we both hail from South Wales in the UK. Keep up the good work and more creepypastas, please. Signed, Dave Richards in South Wales. Well, Kate, I know you're listening to this, so just know that you've got a keeper there with your hubby. I, I don't normally do this, but, you know, just, just for a random email, but I, I felt the urge and I'm sending you guys, uh, both of you, Weird Darkness t-shirts, mugs, and stickers. So thank you for spreading the word there in South Wales, Kate. Got a podcast review from Miss L. Mack in Canada. She said, love this podcast, love his narrations on YouTube, love his audiobook narrations, love his passion to his craft, love the content he's normally associated with, love, love, love Darren. Uh, except for his lady voice narrations. Not the biggest fan of those. P.S. If you're going to read my review, please don't do it on Creepypasta Thursdays, as I probably won't hear it. No offense. Okay, well, no offense taken. You know, creepypastas, they're not for everybody. I, I understand that. Now, as for me, uh, <laughs> as for me voicing female characters, you have not heard the worst of that. I narrated a young adult horror novel uh, a few years ago called Midnight Diet Club. It's actually on the audiobooks page of WeirdDarkness.com. The whole thing is from a teenage girl's perspective. I mean, imagine me doing that horrid female voice for an entire novel. It was, it was awful. It was all so bad that when I had to put together the, the retail sample that people could listen to as a sample of the book before they decided to buy it, I made sure that none of that voice was in the sample. Uh, from uh, Andrew James Hig 2 on Twitter, he said, When that female voice in the background of your podcast seems to be saying Horace, what's the rest of what it's saying? It gives me a tingling sensation in my back and I can't help laughing. Signed, Andrew James Hig 2 on Twitter. So I don't know what episode you're referring to, Andrew. I, do, I don't recall placing a female voice in the background of anything recently. So are you sure your podcast app isn't haunted? On YouTube, I got a comment from Charlie Parsey Pudding Pie saying, Hi, Darren. Hope you and Robin are having a Yankee Doodle Dandy 4th of July. Great presentation and interesting stories as always. One of my fave ways to relax. I had to re-listen a few times because your delivery is so soothing I fell asleep, as I often do. Some of my chronic conditions are kicking up a fuss today, and hearing you read stories actually helps relieve some of the pain. Your voice is like a lullaby for us weirdos. Thanks for the upload, and see you on Facebook. You know what? Uh, knowing the podcast is getting you through some of those tough times, that really means a lot to me, Charlie. 
So I'm really glad that I can give you something other than pain and infirmity to concentrate on when you're having a particularly difficult day. And we'll end with a comment from Corey on YouTube. She said, or he or she, I'm not sure, it's Corey Britton, that said, Dear Sir, I've enjoyed your videos for some time now. The amount of research and care you devote is obvious. However, I had no idea that you were devoutly Christian in your philosophy and worldview. How absolutely refreshing it was to learn such information. May God richly bless you and your work, which I shall enjoy twice as much as before. Again, thank you for your diligence and devotion to the cause and for the apparent pride you take in the product you present. Well, thank you, Corey. Um, yeah, I am a born-again Christian, um, and a lot of people find that surprising, when we seeing as I am telling ghost stories and the like. And many religious folks, and I use religious, not Christian here, because there is a difference between the two. Uh, many religious folks, they're very judgmental about my doing this kind of thing. But you know what? The Bible does refer to ghosts existing, or at least the people in the Bible believing that they exist. Uh, when Jesus was walking on the water, Peter asked if it was a ghost that he was seeing. So ghosts were at least a topic of conversation. Uh, I've also had a lot of people tell me that they have actually gone back to church and started reading their Bible again after listening to Weird Darkness. It's pretty crazy, and it's also good to know that I have a weirdo in Christ listening in. So thank you, Corey. I will answer more of your emails, comments, reviews, and tweets next time. All stories in this episode are purported to be true, and you can find source links or links to the authors in the show notes. Are You Dreaming This Man is from Beyond Science. The Terrifying Dolls That Appeared From Nowhere was written by Paul Seaburn. Haunted by His Paranormal Past was written by Eric Lasidis. Hijinks in Helltown was written by Brent Swanser. And It Began When They Gave Me the House Key was written by weirdo family member Julia Harrison. Weird Darkness is a registered trademark of Marler House Productions, and it's a part of the BG Podcast Network. Copyright Marler House Productions 2019. And if you or your company are ever in need of a professional voice guy, talk to me about your project. I'm sure we could work together. And now that we're coming out of the dark, I'll leave you with a little light. Proverbs 17, verse 16. Of what use is money in the hand of a fool since he has no desire to get wisdom? And a final thought. Don't judge. Everyone has their challenges in life that you know nothing about. I'm your creator and host, Darren Marlar. Thanks for joining me in the Weird Darkness. Hearing dark stories in a podcast is one thing, but living in darkness is quite another. If you're living with depression and trying to deal with it using alcohol, illegal drugs, or other bad influences, there is a way out of the dark. Call 1-800-273-8255. With the FMLA, you can even take a leave of absence from your job and return to it once you've found help. 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-8255.